0: Uh, Christmas is is uh, in full throttle. This is, in fact, the season that we actually would call Advent. the The Christian calendar, for those of you who aren't aware, Christians, um, just like the Jews, before them, uh, have a calendar, but it's wrapped around our holidays, the big important uh, times of year. And so because our, our lives are dominated by, by work and school and none of your calendars that you have, for their January, February, March, all that sort of thing, sometimes we aren't as aware of it. But this is called the season of Advent begins today. In fact, this is also my fourth anniversary of being here. I started uh, the first weekend of um, December four years ago. So it's been... Well, I wasn't, thank you. I, no booze. Just no... <laughs> Just wasn't looking for applause, but I'm grateful there were not as many boos and I couldn't hear them. So, it's, but uh, we've had a wonderful time being with you guys, and so I just I want to thank you um, for all the love and support that you've poured into uh, Laura and my life and our girls, and uh, we just we're so grateful to be a part of this church. That was a completely aside that I didn't intend. Advent, Advent. So Advent comes from the Latin term adventus, which means arrival or coming, uh, and so we're what we do as a church is kind of. I, maybe, whoa, that is not at all where we are to be. There we go. I must have been hitting buttons. I apologize. Um, now I'm totally thrown off. What was I saying? Advent. Uh, Expectations, I'm kicking flowers. It's a mess up here, guys. <laughs> anyway, each week of Advent, let's just move forward. Each week of Advent kind of has its own focus. This is the week we call the week of hope. The week of hope. Um, and so what, what we do as, uh, as Christians is we kind of have this, it's, it's kind of weird. If you're not a Christian here today, maybe you're, you're like, these people are really weird. And that's okay because it is a little weird. But what we kind of do is pretend for about a month that Jesus hasn't quite come yet. Well, at the same time we talk about resurrection and heaven and all the things that are made possible, forgiveness of sins, all these things that are made possible by Jesus' coming, his death and his resurrection. We kind of have this, this time where we, we pretend, we kind of get excited about the coming the coming of Jesus. And that's, and that's really appropriate then that this is the week of hope because it wasn't long ago that, that our little Ezri was born. So she's like nine, eight, nine months, somewhere in there. Laura's not here to correct me. She's somewhere in there. And so I really remember the coming of the baby and the excitement and the anticipation and the hope that it all goes well and the absolute abject fear <laughs> that surrounds all of that. And isn't that the content of hope? Isn't that the content of hope? We anticipate, we hope things will be better, we hope tomorrow we would be greater, we hope that things are really going to work out and we're really afraid too that they won't, aren't we? And this is, this is religious, this is secular, this is in your home life, in your work life, but this is true of hope, just broadly speaking. It is full of anticipation, expectation, and it is also full of fear. The Bible defines hope for us, now we can go here, like this. Hope is something that you haven't seen yet. If you're hoping for it, that means you haven't experienced it yet. And secondly then, that ties us quite neatly into faith, that hope and faith are intricately bound. Because as hope is, is, is projecting into the future, saying, I hope things will turn out well, we have to have some kind of faith that things really will, really will work out. I had to memorize this verse when I was a kid, like VBS or Sunday School. Do you guys remember memorizing this verse? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of of what we do not see. And they're tied, tied so intricately together. And I want to stir up hope in you this morning. I want this, this whole week to be a week where you think hopefully, trusting in God. I can't wait for this to happen Will it happen? Setting aside the will and the fear and and, and leaning heavily into our trust in God. And so what I'm going to recommend you do first thing is contemplate your death. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Contemplate your death. I've been reading a book by Thomas Akempis, kind of a Christian classic called The Imitation of Christ, and he has this, I found this to be very profound this week as I was thinking about hope and Christmas and, and of course, reading this book, and he says this. He says, very soon, your life here will end. Consider, then, what might be in store for you elsewhere. Today we live, tomorrow we die, and we are quickly forgotten. Oh, the dullness and hardness of a heart which looks only to the present instead of preparing for what is to come. Now, I know that's deep and I know that's heavy and I know that almost doesn't feel Christmassy, but it's deeply Christmassy. Christmas is apocalyptic. Christmas is huge. Christmas is a message that says that God came to earth. That's Immense. And I want to stir that up in you that you, you just, it, it, from that one small place, put yourself in the kind of hope that it takes to believe in God so deeply. And to think about our passing is so important because we are inundated with busyness and it's only going to get worse, right? How many of you guys have already been on the phone making plans? Anybody been to a store yet? It's bananas out there. Some of you saw on Facebook, I I ventured to Target yesterday, which was a mistake. Just bad choices. But my wife wasn't here to stop me or accompany me, oddly enough. So, I mean, it's going to get worse out there. And our lives are inundated with not just busyness, but with noise, isn't it? I'm standing outside of, of Emery's uh, school. Emery, I mean, my daughter, she's seven, and I'm waiting for her to come out. And I'm just standing there. I'm there for maybe 20 seconds. And that might be generous. And I'm looking at the door, and so what do I do? Get your phone out, right? Everyone else got their phone out. A moment of peace and quiet, but instead I, I have to fill that moment, don't I? Have, we, have to, we have to fill that moment with something, Our lives are inundated, our minds are inundated with screens and and music and sound and busyness. And it's just all this noise, 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 noise. And we just can't escape it. Which is sometimes how I feel. Thank you. Very nice. Minus 50 Jesus points for Gwen. So, what can we do in all of the noise of life? We can take a break. We can step back. And I want to encourage you today to think about that, to to stop and to say, Man, my time here is short. How can I make this season the most meaningful? How can I make this the most powerful? How can I make this important? And so, toward that end, I want us to look at a text of scripture. If you've got your Bibles here today, find Luke chapter 2. If you didn't, that's all right. We've got Bibles in the pew in front of you. It's on page 856. Paul preached last week on uh, Mary's song, which we call the Magnificat, Magnify the Lord. This we call the Benedictus, which is a blessing, benediction, a blessing. Uh, This is the song or prophecy sometimes, as we think of it, of Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, and he is a far less uh, well-known figure, of course, than Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, but he is important as a part of the Christmas story. If John the Baptist doesn't come, then the prophecies aren't fulfilled. He is tied in deeply with everything that is happening here. And I really love Zechariah's song here, his, his prophecy here, because it is rooted in a very real hope. So I'm going to read this whole text because it's gorgeous and then we'll dive back into it, kind of look at a few points that we see here. So beginning with verse 68, so Luke chapter 2, verse 68, Zechariah says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking to John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet to peace. That's just a beautiful text, isn't it? It's riddled, riddled with hope. And so I want to dive into this, and I want you to see three pieces, three key pieces that, are, that tie this hope into our real lives and our real world. First, we see that this is rooted in the people of God. Notice that in verse 68 here, he says that the Lord has come to visit and to redeem his people. Throughout this whole thing, we have this, this sense of the peopleness of God. So often, the Christmas songs, we did it even this morning, not that I'm bashing our Christmas songs, I love them. But so often, they drag us right away into the Nativity. The Gospels don't do that. You notice each one of the Gospels, each one of the four books that tell us about the life of Jesus Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John none of them begin with the Nativity. Matthew begins like this, and Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his brothers, and on and on it goes, tying it into the story that we have, not, not here, but all the way back here when God first broke into the world and said, you will be my people and I will be your God. Mark begins with a prophecy concerning, concerning, these are going to really get on my nerves, The wreath is not in the way, but okay. Uh, concerning the coming of John the Baptist, he immediately gives us a prophecy out of the, the book of Isaiah uh, that we see here. And then Luke begins with a narrative of the coming of John the Baptist, of his miraculous birth, and then breaks into the, the miraculous birth of Jesus as well. And John John rewinds us even further back, reminding us of Genesis 1-1, when he begins his gospel by saying of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with Was God. All of them call us back to remember that it didn't just start with Jesus, but is rather the continuation of God moving and working through all of human history to redeem a people for himself. Have you ever been picked for anything? Like like somebody picks you for the team or picks you for the task, or maybe the person next to you who is prettier and smarter than you picked you for a partner. How great is it to be chosen? How great is it for somebody to say, I want you. I think you've got the thing that I need. I want you. This is what God is doing today for you. He is calling to you, saying, I want you. I've wanted people all the way through this whole long list, this whole book of of human history, and I I want you. You can be a part of something larger and bigger than you, but including you as well as an intricate piece do we all want to be a part of something bigger, something that matters, something that is cosmic, something that is huge? There is nothing bigger than being a part of the people of God who will dwell in the kingdom of God, whom you can have an intricate role in. God has promised then to choose a people and to vindicate a people. That's the content of our hope. Our hope is that God will say one day, look, here's my people. That he will raise and resurrect and redeem and save and and put into place all of the things, all the things that we see in Jesus will finally come to us. If we keep the path and we hold firm to our confession of faith. What we see tied into this, then, this prophecy that Zechariah is talking about is not just peoplehood, but also a promise. We see that in verse 70. The, the promise was spoken by the mouth of the, the prophets of old that we should be delivered from our hand of our en- enemies and those who hate us. In verse 72, uh, again, the mercy that's promised to our fathers to remember the covenant. Remember, that, remember the covenant, that's a, that's a promise that he swore to our father, that's a promise, Abraham. To grant us and to deliver us from our enemies. There's promises tied into all of that, and it reminds us then that that as we begin to think about the Nativity, as we begin to think about Jesus and the coming of Jesus and the incarnation, sort of the fancy, the fancy word that we use to describe God becoming flesh, all of that has to begin back here with Abraham, where God says to Abraham, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will make an everlasting covenant. With you. One of the biggest mistakes we make these days as Christians is we forget that there's a whole lot more Bible here than there is here. And we need to remember that. We're tied to a promise that goes back thousands of years, that God is still keeping and keeping and keeping and keeping. Our God is a God who makes promises and who keeps them who walks with his people. There's a prophecy in one of the texts in the Old Testament where it says, cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem, which reminds us that over and over again, even though we stumble, even though we fall, even though we fail to keep the promise that we make to God to let him be our king and for us to follow in his steps and in his commands, that God continually comes to us and says, I will forgive, I will redeem, I will set all things right. I like the way that this uh, whole thing ends here in verse 79, where the promise is this, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Now, this has very real world meaning for our brothers and sisters uh, who live in Pakistan or who live in Africa under some of the dictators there or who live in China which has just started to crack down more fiercely if you didn't think they were already cracking down hard enough, cracking down more fiercely on the Christians that are popular. They are underneath the real heel of an enemy who wants their blood. Most of us aren't in that situation. At least I hope not. But we are... We are burdened with all sorts of shame, guilt. We're burdened with jobs that we don't like and maybe aren't very secure. We're burdened by family. I mean, is, this is the season for family squabbles as much as it is for family joy, right? This is a weird mixture of like, let's all get together so we can fight more like face-to-face. Like, wonderful, like, right? I think it's such a weird season sometimes. We're burdened with all sorts of things and many of us, Are burdened really even by the shadow of death, sickness, cancer, maybe a loved one that's been lost, just haunts you this season. This is a season of hope because this is a season that says death, the devil, shame, guilt, dictators, and oppressors, they don't get the last word. For those, who sit in the darkness of the shadow of death, there is a light that dawns over them. There is hope for you. If you are part of the people of God, tied into the promises of God, because God makes promises and God keeps promises. And Jesus is the proof. Jesus is the proof. Lastly, there is purpose. Not only can you tie into something that is bigger than you, cosmic in the sense of it's tied all the way back to the beginning of all things and goes on into the eternity of all things. You can be a part of the people of God. You'd be tied into these huge promises, and promises that are big in terms of all of God's people throughout history, but also comes all the way down to you. You are not forgotten. What does Jesus say? God knows the numbers of hairs on your head or face. I mean, he didn't say face, but I assume it would include, you know, the whole thing. God knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows your pain. He knows all that you are wrestling with in this season. And the promises are huge. They're for all of God's people and they're small. They're for you too. But you can also have a purpose. All of this is directing us towards a purpose. It isn't just that God loves us and wants to give us a wonderful life. He loves us and wants to make us vessels of his glory. He wants to use you so that you can be a person of purpose. Your life can have meaning, direction, in a way that it could never have before Jesus. Jesus not only gives us access to his people, not only gives us the promise, but directs our lives towards a purpose, and we see that here in this text. Notice verse 74. Being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we might serve God without fear, but with holiness and righteousness. One of the great things about Christmas, is this great spirit of uh, servanthood. Like I can say, you need to be a servant to the world. And everyone's like, yeah, I should. Well, and then January hits and we forget all about it, right? But there's this one little glowing light where we're, where we're all tied. Like if, I st- if in February I say, you need to be a servant of God, that's actually kind of strikes us like, oh man, that's difficult. Because... Think about the last movie that you watched or the last TV show you watched or the last book that you read or the last video game you played. All of our stories are built upon what? Somebody who gets served. Somebody who becomes the powerful one. It begins with a a, a lowly pig farmer who becomes the greatest warrior or a a, a girl who is a scullery maid and suddenly finds out she's a prince. You see kind of what I listen to or read. You 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 have these stories of these characters who they start small, but then they become like the most important character in the story. Jesus is sort of odd in that way because he's constantly just staying at the fringes, isn't he? He comes not in glory. He comes in a manger. He comes not to be served, but to serve. He comes not to live forever, but to die for his enemies. Everything about Jesus subverts Who we are, and the way our culture talks about the meaning of life. But the meaning of life is this that you serve God in holiness and in righteousness. And there is a purpose and a passion there that can live forever, that will live forever, that will not go away. As as Paul puts it this way he says, uh, For we are God's workmanship, we've been recreated, reformed, remade into the image of Jesus for the purpose of good, good works. And if we rewind from, from kind of post-Jesus, where Paul is, to all the way back to way before Jesus, back in Genesis, this is what we get in the promise, the first giving of the promise to Abraham by God in Genesis 12, where he says, of, because of you or through you, all the nations, all the nations will be blessed. Because God's plans God's plans are bigger than just Israel. Bigger than just the church as it is here today. It's bigger than just his special people. His special people, they have a place in it that no one else does, but, but his, his, his plans are cosmic. They're, they're big. They're huge. In fact, the prophets bear this out in several passages. I'll give them to you here. Isaiah talks about the mountain of the Lord being lifted up higher than all of the other mountains. And that the nations are going to flow into it. And many people's are going to come and they're going to say let's go up to the mountain of the lord so that we might learn his ways so we might walk in his path. Micah puts it this way that god's going to begin judging he'll judge the when he comes again and sets the world right he will judge between the nations so there's not going to be a need for disputes there's not going to be a need for armies or police forces or any of this kind of thing and so what are people going to do they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks their missiles and machine guns are no longer needed for anything, but maybe to be reformed so that they can till the ground. Zacharias says, Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. There's going to be a worldwide rule of God, cosmic. You have a place in that cosmic story, you have a purpose in that cosmic story. Because what we do now as the church is we bear witness to this by our life together. The Bible talks frequently ab- about, and um, the New Testament talks about us being a priesthood, a royal priesthood. And this is why I encourage you to read the places in the Bible that sometimes we find the most boring, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, these books way back here, because they describe what priests look like and what they do. And very much what we are to be in this world that we are the representatives of God in the world. You are the representative of God in your family or at work or wherever. That's you. You are the priest in that place to bear witness to the ways of God, to bear witness to the love of God and the grace of God and the firmness and truth of God as well. That is our purpose in this world. We live out these prophecies until these prophecies, until this hope ceases to be hope and just becomes real. Real. I can't wait for that day. So to bring it to a conclusion as we, let's get there, there we go. We are tied into the people of God. We are the people of God. Big, huge picture of what God has been doing throughout human history, and will continue to go, go beyond that. And then it ties us into the promises of God moving us to understand how big and grand those things are and how they come small to your prayer is heard by the Almighty God, which is an incredible thought. Rick brought that up earlier about how Jesus intercedes for us. When we pray, the Spirit takes them to Jesus and Jesus delivers them to God. Jesus is the mediator. He hears your small prayer and takes it into account. Those promises are for you and they direct you toward the purpose which God has set you to, to bear witness to his love, to bear witness to his light, to bear witness to his glory. So let's make this as applicable as possible. I wanted to bring it really small and try to make as much application as I can. What kind of good things do we see in this text here in Zechariah and in the things that we've talked about? First, we see that God is the giver and the keeper of promises. And I think about this every year at Christmas. I think how wonderful it is that you can trust God, that you can know that God is the God who says, I will deliver my people, and he has. And he is, and he will. The second thing I always think of during Christmas season is how small lives become really important. I have to imagine, even though Mary went through all of the stuff that she went through, when she was changing Jesus' diaper at two in the morning, she was wondering "Is this matter? Does this matter? God redeems the things that seem small and insignificant in our lives. Those small conversations, those small little witnessing moments that you have got that small little money you throw into the offering or into the missions or, or into whatever else you're tied into. Those small moments where you say a kind word or do a kind thing or draw your family together to, to grab a hold of this, this little book and read scripture and pray together. Those small things that seem insignificant, God can take those things and make them huge. And guess what? You'll never know it. You'll never know it. But one day, looking back upon it, we will see how God has used us to bless so many more lives than we ever had any idea. Because God takes those small lives that we lead, and he makes them meaningful. He gives them purpose. And so there's great hope. There's great hope in the job that you go to tomorrow morning that you don't really want to go to tomorrow morning. There's hope there. There's hope at two in the morning when Laura brings the baby back. (laughs) They're away this weekend, and so I have slept. Esri made it four hours last week one night. So anyway, I'm looking forward to them coming back. Three. I really have three. It shows us the long arm of God's love. I love the, the I love diving into the Old Testament because I love that I am a part of something that is so much more immense than I am. And it shows me how God has through centuries and centuries and centuries brought his people through to today. And if God has has done so much with all of his people, bringing them here today to the point where you you and I are sitting here conversing and thinking about scripture, we're thinking about this story. As a, a very famous theologian put it, there are no Hittites in New York, but you'll find a few Jews, right? God's faithfulness is true. Proof is here this morning as you and I sit and discuss his word. And it tells me that if I'm a part of something this large, this grand, It won't be lost. And I can invest my life in it. And I can invest my hope in it. And I can know that that hope is secure. That faith that I put in the thing that I can't see, it's secure. That hope that I put in the Son of God will not let me down. This morning as we come to a conclusion, I just want to end with this wonderful, wonderful little prophecy from Matthew chapter 4. This is actually after, as Jesus begins his ministry, this is where Matthew plugs it in, but I'm going to pull it a little further back and say, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, these are lands that are tied into, uh, into the Jewish homeland. The way beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, that's you and me, everybody who's not a Jew. So to the Jews and to the Gentiles, To those people who, who have the historic genetic tie to Abraham and to those of us today, most of us here, who do not because we're some sort of European mix. To the people who are dwelling in darkness, we have seen a great light. For those who dwell in the region of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that light is Jesus. I pray that as... You begin this Christmas season, you will direct your life toward God in a new and living way. I would encourage you to, again, grab a hold of that Advent booklet and spend some extra time with your family in prayer and in scripture reading. I want to offer an invitation at this time too. Um, I know this is a tough time for a lot of folks. And so if you just need some prayer, like if you need to meet Jesus for the first time, if you need to accept his lordship, if you need to restart, we invite you to come forward. But even if you just need somebody to pray with you because things are not going well, we invite you to come forward. We have our elders down here. They would like to meet with you, to pray with you, and to walk with you as we together follow this, this path of the living God. Let's stand and sing praises to our God one last time before we're dismissed.